it really is truly an honor to be here again in front of you today and see many familiar faces, uh, some not so familiar as well. It'd be good to greet you after the service. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, Lord, our rock and our salvation. Have you watched those game shows or seen lotteries where winners are promised life-changing sums of money? Sometimes a few thousand, sometimes millions of pounds. And then there are those other shows, reality TV and others, where families are invited to transform their lives, maybe with celebrities telling them how they can lose weight for good, shop for less, declutter their homes, or move to the countryside, or even move to the other side of the world. Some even hold out the promise of love. Guaranteed, life-changing events. Of course, lives may change, but there's no guarantee that it's going to be for the better. And there are sadly many tales of those whose lives and relationships have been wrecked. Perhaps their old lives weren't quite so bad after all. But as we think about life-changing events, haven't the last three years' experience of pandemic changed the way many of us view our lives and how we evaluate what is valuable to us and what's not? Emerging from these times, maybe like me, you found that there is sometimes a tension between, on the one hand, maintaining the new things that we did, the new values we developed, family, quiet time, Flexible working, less is more, new ways of worship and being community. And on the other hand, returning to the old, the familiar and the comfortable. Maybe you had time for some of those things you used to do and enjoy. Maybe you rediscovered the joy of reading or sewing. People took up knitting and making banana bread. Now, there's only so much banana bread any of us can eat. But am I the only one still making sourdough bread? I love it. It gives me something to do. On the other hand, perhaps we miss the camaraderie of the workplace, the travel and the holidays, and of course, the embrace of family. Some things we missed while we were restricted to our houses and yearned to connect. Other things we learned to value more and miss now that we're opening up again. Our gospel reading this morning is about someone who comes to Jesus looking to have his questions answered and to perhaps change his life. He's someone who thinks he knows God, but knowing God only wants, makes him want to know Jesus and God more. He's probably comfortable as he is, a leader, a teacher, respected by all, and yet he isn't entirely satisfied. He's heard of this man, Jesus, and he's challenged by his, te- his preaching. He wants to know more. He asks his questions, 
But the answers that Jesus gives are perhaps rather more radical, rather more challenging, and rather more mysterious than anticipated. Jesus, as is so often the case, gives answers that tell a different, much deeper truth. But a truth that needs further thought and not easily understood. So who is this man, Nicodemus? The man who comes into John's gospel, John's story of Jesus, not once, but three times. In today's passage, we're introduced to him as a man who comes out of the night. And as I've said, comes to have his questions answered by Jesus. Comes because he wants to know more of God. Now, John's gospel is a narrative that finds light and dark really important. So it's no accident that Nicodemus comes at night looking for enlightenment. He's a Pharisee, a Jewish leader, a teacher, a learned man. He comes at night because he cannot declare himself publicly, and yet he's inquisitive. He comes at night maybe because he doesn't want all his friends and colleagues to know of his uncertainties, his questions, and his doubts. He's spiritually open and curious, but he's also rational. He wants to know more. He wants to ask questions. He wants Jesus to explain the things that are puzzling him. He has faith, but that doesn't mean that he simply accepts. He asks his questions. He says to Jesus, tell me more. Tell me what you mean. He wants to know about, more about this extraordinary man, Jesus. He wants to know his God at a deeper level. His intellectual curiosity is, is aroused. As I've said, Nicodemus appears three times in John's Gospel, and he returns twice more. He appears briefly in chapter 7 to intercede for Jesus, asking his fellow Jewish leaders to listen to Jesus reminding them that they should not condemn without first hearing for themselves. And he's there again at the end, in chapter 19, with Joseph of Arimathea, another secret follower, providing huge quantities of myrrh and of aloes to complete those burial rituals. Nicodemus, it seems, is a dedicated disciple of Jesus, but is still afraid of stepping out of the dark, out of the shadows, and declaring himself. Are we, I wonder, like Nicodemus, sometimes afraid to step out of the shadows? Followers of the rituals, but not publicly committed. But at least Nicodemus asks his questions and seeks to grow. Seeks to grow closer to God. He doesn't just dismiss ideas because they don't fit what he already thinks. Nicodemus asks basic, perhaps even foolish questions. He asks questions and Jesus shows, well, is it frustration or humor? Jane gave us a wonderful interpretation of what he might have, uh, how he might have said it. 
But when Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher, and yet you don't understand, what expression do you imagine on Jesus' face? Is it maybe a frustrated frown that he doesn't understand? Or maybe just a turned-up corner of his mouth in a wry smile? We'll never know. We can only guess. There's Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a leader, a teacher of Israel, and yet Jesus illustrates that he doesn't have all the answers. Nicodemus, like all of us, is still learning. So what do we make of Jesus' response to Nicodemus? The invitation to be born again. Being born again is both nonsensical and provocative, but at the same time, it invites us to use our imaginations and to reconsider our relationship with God. Just as Nicodemus comes out of the darkness to see Jesus, so we are invited out of the darkness. We too are invited to learn, to learn to know God better. Sadly, Nicodemus returns to that darkness. Although, as we've heard, he obviously continued to ponder matters and continued to engage with Jesus and his thinking. In being told that we need to be born again, we're invited to emerge from the comfort of the spiritual womb and to come out into the light, becoming mature believers, becoming full participants in the abundant life that Jesus offers. Just as we emerge from our mother's wombs as babies and begin a lifelong period of physical, intellectual, and emotional growth, so the invitation to be born again of the Spirit isn't an invitation to a one-off event, but rather an invitation to begin a new life. A new life as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, someone who is committed to learning and development. When we're born of our mothers, we know next to nothing. When we are born of, a, uh, when we are born of the Spirit, we're invited to learn yet more. Learn to know God as we learned to know our parents, our carers, and those who loved us as we grew up. I heard about the, the rather odd jobs that I have within Methodism. And that's because actually, as well as being a Methodist minister, I'm also a chartered accountant. All the more reason for people to dislike me, really. But as part of that role, I'm, I'm required to undertake continued professional development and to confirm to my institute every year that I've continued to keep myself up to date, growing in experience and knowledge. Many of you who are in similarly professional jobs are required to do the same. But whatever work you do or did in the past, you would be required to show that you were keeping up to date with standards and knew what you were doing. Learning doesn't stop when we leave school. It doesn't stop when we reach 18, 21, or 40 or however old we are now. Those of us who have the privilege to have children know that when we became new parents, we were thrown in the deep end and had to learn very quickly how to deal with this screaming bundle of joy. There was no user manual. And as we grow older, well, we learn other new things. We learn, amongst other things, how to live with the aches of pains and getting up in the morning. And even today, 
I learned a new way of getting into London when I found my train that I would normally catch was cancelled. We learn from those around us, from books and increasingly in various ways online. Sadly, I just this week had to register for a course in consumer duty. And a few months ago, I completed, of course, the course in safeguarding. But most frequently, we don't learn in those ways. We learn from experience, from doing something and getting a reaction, a response. And the reaction might be the one that we want, and we can repeat it, or not the one that we want. And we try something else. That isn't success or failure, it's simply life. The world doesn't stand still as we go through our lives, and we mature by our experiences. We mature and grow through our successes, and so too through our not-so-successful ventures. People sometimes say that they have a degree from the University of Life, don't we all? As Christians, we commit to lifelong learning about God, about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We commit not just to knowing more about God, but to actually knowing her better, knowing her in relationships. Some learning can be gained from listening to others, from reading, reading the Bible, and reading what others have to say about it too. Much of what we learn, though, is gained by experience. As we put our faith into practice, so we learn. We learn what works, and we learn what doesn't. We learn from our mistakes. Let's for a moment then turn to our psalm that we heard this morning, Psalm 121. The psalm demonstrates the need to have someone to call on for help. For help, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where will my hope come from? A psalm which itself illustrates a journey of pilgrimage, of seeking aid and assistance. The assistance comes from God, who keeps us. And here's another lesson for me to learn today, that in the version I was reading, it talks about keeping throughout. It used the words, God keeps us. But the version we've heard this morning doesn't use that word at all. It uses something completely different, which really sets me apart. It uses the term instead, the God who watches over us. He doesn't sleep. He keeps us safe. Provides shelter and shade from the troubles of life. Keeps us from evil. So what does it mean to be having someone watch over us? God is praised by the psalmist. And I'm going to have to revert to my phraseology of keeper. Sorry, otherwise my illustrations simply don't work. So you'll have to forgive me. Because my first thought of the psalmist uh, thinking about God as a, as a keeper was to admit that my first thought was thinking about a zookeeper, someone who keeps us behind bars. But that, thankfully, is a bad analogy. As we aren't behind bars, we have our freedom. The second thought was of a keeper in football, a goalkeeper. That's probably a little bit better. The safe hands, if you're my age, of Gordon Banks or Peter Schmeichel. Or if you're a bit younger or still follow football, perhaps someone like Bernd Leno. No, I haven't heard of him either, but apparently he plays for a small London team in Fulham. 
pretty much an unknown then, really. But still a pretty poor analogy, really. God keeping the opposition from scoring isn't really the way we want to go. The third thought, thankfully, was more appropriate. The relationship of a potential life partner. Sometimes they say, she or he is definitely a keeper. Meaning they have lots of relationship potential. I hope that's the best of the three. God, who as the psalm identifies, gives us help. is constant, faithful, and dependable. Looks after us and protects us. God, who through Jesus offers us life-changing opportunities. God, who wants to develop in relationship with us. Who knows us in every detail, but also wants us to know him and to grow with him. That psalm is deep, and it also illustrates the difficult balance between the tough questions of life and the deep answers of faith. How do we live our lives? How do we live up to the expectations that are placed upon us? We do it by being alive to the help that God offers. We raise our eyes to the hills rather than concentrating on the phone or the keyboard in front of us. We're offered the opportunity to change our lives, but we don't do it alone. God, through the example of Jesus and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, leads us on. We're supported, held up in love and care. Our 21st century culture promotes the ideas that we can be self-sufficient and individualistic. But the psalmist promotes the idea that we all need help. Without God, our feet will slip, we will stumble, and that only God can keep us from evil, from becoming less than we are able to be. We and our children these days are told that we can be anything that we want to be. Of course, primarily, that isn't true. We can't all be Olympians. However hard we try, at times in my life I've tried. But what we can do all do with God's help is to find the thing that we are called to be. We don't find that by sitting and thinking. We can only do it by getting out into the world to discover our God-given skills and talents, by being faithful disciples. We can only do it by learning, by maturing in our experience, in our faith, in our discipleship. As I mentioned earlier, we can only do it by trial and error led by the Spirit, but willing to make mistakes, willing to listen, willing to listen to others' experience, willing to admit that in the past we may have been wrong, willing to admit that in the past we misunderstood, we didn't fully understand. That's what it needs to be like in our home lives, in our social lives, in our work lives. And that should be what it's like in our faith journeys as disciples too. So here we are in the season of Lent, and we've already reached the second weekend, and Lent is, as we've heard already, often described as a journey. We follow Jesus in his journey to the cross. We give things up or take things on as ways of bringing regularly to mind that journey that we are on. But the journey is irrelevant if we end up in the same place that we began both physically and spiritually. 
the psalmist demonstrates to us that they are on a journey, a journey that asks them to raise their eyes, to look further, to look to the hills, to find the God who is their keeper. We've heard something of the journey of Nicodemus as he is willing to question his understanding and try to find a real truth through this new preacher that he's heard. He hears, but at first he doesn't understand. His reappearance later in John's gospel, I think means that he has continued his journey, continued with his questions, continued to listen. This season of Lent is our opportunity to get close to God, to learn to know him better. Let us, through this Lenten season, be willing to question and to listen. Let us be willing to move spiritually to a new understanding, a new understanding visualized by that image of rebirth. To be born to a new understanding, a new journey of discovery through the Holy Spirit. Let us, through that journey, that pilgrimage, learn to know God better. Amen.